Good morning, Colorado. You're listening to The Daily Sun Up with the Colorado Sun. It's Thursday, November 2nd. Today, John Ingold talks with Michael Booth about a free Sun panel on Medicare open enrollment questions and an encouraging new report on Colorado cutting greenhouse gas emissions. Before we begin, a quick message. AARP Colorado is proud to sponsor this podcast with the Colorado Sun. With Colorado being one of the fastest-growing states in the nation among older adults, AARP Colorado strives to ensure all Coloradans can age in place for as long as possible and age with dignity. Now, let's go back in time with some Colorado history. The Spanish influenza of 1918 was the deadliest epidemic in history. Originating in Kansas, it spread globally during World War I. Silverton, in Colorado's San Juan Mountains, was particularly affected. On this day in 1918, over half its population was reported sick or dead. The disease first struck Colorado at the University of Colorado, but efforts to contain it failed. Denver health officials mandated surgical masks for those in regular contact with the public, and many educational institutions closed or quarantined. Mountain towns and the Southern Ute Reservation suffered significantly, while Gunnison isolated itself, averting the worst of the pandemic. By the summer of 1919, Colorado reported 50,000 cases and nearly 8,000 deaths. Before we continue, another quick message. Do you or anyone you know have questions about Medicare as open enrollment begins? Join the Colorado Sun virtually on November 2nd as health reporter John Ingold speaks with panelists about everything you need to know about Medicare and helping select the right plan. The event is free, virtual, and open to the public. RSVP today and submit your questions for panelists by visiting coloradosun.com slash events. Next, our feature story. Hello on Thursday, everybody. Thank you for joining the Colorado Sun's Thursday podcast where John Ingold and I talk about what we are reporting for the Temperature Weekly Newsletter on climate and health and other stories we are working on for the week and are welcoming your questions and your comments and especially are welcoming what John has been working on, your comments and your insights into a panel. This is happening tonight, Thursday night, free panel on coloradosun.com slash events where John is going to be taking advantage of open enrollment questions and issues that come up this time of year to focus tonight on Medicare. Welcome, John. Hi, Mike. So who do you have lined up to help you with these sometimes complicated questions, and where do you think you will start off talking? Yeah, so we have uh, three panelists. Uh, The first is a gentleman named Brandon Davis. He is the uh, SHIP program director for uh, the state of Colorado. That's the State Health Insurance Assistance Program. Uh, They work with uh, Medicare uh, enrollees to help them uh, better navigate the system. Um, So if you had a question about Medicare, you could contact the the SHIP program. They would direct you to sort of your local representative for that program, and uh, they would be able to help get that question answered. Just there to provide advice. uh, they don't have any sort of financial stake in it. They're part of the, the Colorado Division of Insurance. Uh, the second is a woman named Louise Norris, who is uh, a health policy analyst for MedicareResources.org. Uh, Louise actually lives up in uh, northern Colorado and is uh, kind of a national expert when it comes to understanding uh, health policy and health insurance policy of, uh, of, of sort of all stripes. She also can talk about um, enrolling in the the individual health insurance market, but uh, 
uh, tonight she'll be talking about Medicare. And then we have uh, Greg Glashinsky, who is the interim president for AARP of Colorado. And he um, obviously can can talk about AARP's resources and uh, also as a Medicare recipient himself can uh, sort of give the the recipient perspective on on how things work. And I'm really excited for this panel. We usually do one on uh, the individual uh, private insurance uh, market, the the open enrollment for that, which is also going on right now, um, started yesterday. But uh, last year when we did that panel, uh, I did a call out for questions. We got a ton of questions from readers and a bunch of them were about Medicare. And so it really, uh, you know, our, our readers were really identifying for us a, a need for information on this. So we decided to uh, uh, sort of try and meet that need and uh, get this panel going. And I think it's going to be uh, really interesting. So let's remind people for a minute and maybe remind our editors. Hello, editors. Uh, who want to talk a little bit about, learn a little bit more about Medicare. Medicare being the health insurance plan that everybody who hates government would never give up in a million years because it seems to work well for a lot of people, mostly for people over the age of 65 or at the age of 65 and for some special categories, including kidney dialysis and some other kinds of categories that you might want to go through. Uh, but it's not necessarily automatic in terms of people do have some choices between Medicare and Medicare Advantage. What kinds of questions are you fielding already from people who are going to be tuning into the panel tonight? Yeah, so I think you hit on it. Part of the the challenge in just becoming a Medicare recipient is figuring out how the system works. And, you know, there's traditional Medicare versus, uh, you mentioned Medicare Advantage. Um, Medicare Advantage is like, it kind of works a little more like a private health insurance plan. So you would enroll in a Medicare Advantage plan that's offered by an insurance carrier, and then all your care would be taken care of through that uh, that entity, as opposed to uh, enrolling in traditional Medicare, um, which has all these different parts. There's A, B, uh, there's D, which is prescription drugs. So sometimes you need to kind of cobble together um, this different constellation of options. Uh, sometimes you just want to go to a Medicare Advantage plan and get it all bundled together. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. We're going to talk about how people know, is it better for me to go on traditional Medicare? Is it better for me to try and find a, a Medicare Advantage plan? Uh, if I do go in the Medicare Advantage route, how do I use it? How do I make sure I can find regardless of the kind of, of Medicare plan you choose, how do I make sure that I can find a doctor that will actually see me and I can actually get into access? Um, so a lot of those very basic questions. And then we're also going to be taking questions from uh, readers or viewers that they submit. Uh, and we've already got quite a few, some of them quite specific on, on people's uh, individual circumstances and, and some a little bit more broad. And, and I should mention that Medicare... Uh, you know, trying to navigate Medicare open enrollment, that's not just for people who are eligible to be Medicare recipients. That might also be for people who are their caregivers and are trying to help uh, your loved one or, or your, your friend try to make the best decision they can uh, in, in navigating Medicare. So uh, I think we're going to have uh, information and resources for uh, both types of groups. And uh, again, I, I think we're going to learn a lot tonight. It's amazing how big it is. And as you mentioned, how many of us, if we're not on it ourselves, we have family members where the letters from Medicare pile up, but people don't seem to worry too much about the bills because it's usually a statement that has a zero at the bottom. People are very grateful for that, but hundreds of thousands of people, if not approaching a million in Colorado, 
And it's also amazing, given that fact, how little journalists talk about it, just because it's there kind of running in the background. But appreciate you putting the panel together, because I think there are a lot of people who have a lot of questions. Yeah, absolutely. So as Mike said, if you want to um, sign up uh, to watch, you can go uh, this morning, go to coloradosun.com slash events, and there's a, a registration link. Uh, it's free, and uh, you'll just get the link to the uh, to the video. If you are trying to tune in um, just on your own, uh, we should uh, have something up on our homepage. But if you don't see it there, uh, go to our, our Colorado Sun YouTube page. Um, just Google Colorado Sun and YouTube, and you'll see it under there under a live uh, section. Um, starts at six o'clock, goes for an hour, and uh, otherwise we'll we'll post the uh, the recording of the video on that YouTube page uh, in the coming days. So, Mike, I wanted to ask you, switching gears here, uh, a little bit of optimistic news about uh, climate change emissions. The state has big goals for trying to reduce those emissions, and uh, it, you know, sort of makes sense that that we'd be a little bit pessimistic about uh, whether we can actually achieve those goals, given uh, how how challenging they are. But there's a new report out that suggests that maybe we have reason to be hopeful. Absolutely. I think state officials themselves and even some environmental groups were kind of surprised at how optimistic this one turned out to be. It's in a particular piece of the greenhouse gas and climate change picture. Overall, Colorado is still struggling to bring down significantly its overall greenhouse gas emissions numbers. But in one area in particular, we've had some success. We're getting some national renown and even some international renown for what we're doing in the electrical power sector, which is used to be the largest section of greenhouse gas emissions has been starting to come down as coal-fired power plants are starting to close. There's still a few more really big ones to close. And to give you an idea of how significant those are in greenhouse gas world, Colorado puts out 125 to 135 million tons of overall carbon dioxide a year across the entire economy. One power plant, uh, the largest in Colorado, can put out between 8 and 10 million tons alone, just in one place in one city in Colorado. And so that's the huge amount of pollution that coal provides. What the study was doing from the state's perspective was to look at, okay, we've got laws in place. We're demanding that the electrical power section contribute to an 80% reduction in the greenhouse gases they put out by 2030. And they want to know, are we, how are we doing on that? Are we getting there? What's going to be the economic scenario of doing that? So they put an analytics firm on it, and they studied a bunch of different scenarios. One of it was kind of a baseline, given the policies that we got now, the amount of money that consumers are being asked to spend right now on the electrical bills and subsidizing the transition to clean energy. How are we doing? Some other scenarios, throwing in some more exotic and expensive technology like advanced nuclear, which may or may not ever happen, hydrogen, which may or may not ever happen on the largest scale, and a couple of technologies. And what they found was that the scenario that is sort of hold the course, do what we're planning to do, is going to come up with an astonishing 98.5% reduction in greenhouse gases from that electrical power sector by 2040. And we'll be well ahead of the 80% mark for 2030. We might be somewhere between 85 and 90% by 2030. And so that's a pretty astonishing number and getting that close to 100 to net zero, which is the eventual goal for a lot of parts of the economy in Colorado, was very heartening to people that things are going well and it's not going to take a larger number of even more 
broad policy changes. We've made quite a few already, and we're transitioning to coal away from coal, transitioning to wind, to solar, to importing wind from other states that are also doing a lot of wind and trying some other technologies, battery storage, all that. So that part seems to be going very well. So the the cynical reporter in me wonders whether there's not some sort of gimmicky accounting going on here. Are, are we talking about counting uh, carbon capture and underground storage and things like this? Or are we actually talking about 98.5% cuts? Exactly the right question to ask first. And we tried and we were on the lookout for things that are going to be controversial. Like, do are you offsetting a huge amount of carbon by stuffing underground, which is also an unproven technology. They're drilling test holes. We've written about that and talked about it on the podcast. Environmental groups, economic justice, environmental justice groups are not crazy about it. Involves a lot of new wells, involves a lot of pipelines. No one knows how much it can actually capture at this point. And no, the answer is no. This sort of steady-as-you-go scenario does not rely on any carbon capture and storage in order to get to that number. It really is the overwhelming transition every time you when we close the Pueblo Comanche power plant at the by the end of 2030 at the latest, that will cut off somewhere between 7 and 10 million tons of carbon dioxide right there, just in Pueblo. And so the numbers are real. The amount of solar and wind is going to triple and almost quintuple uh, over, between now and 2040. Those projects are on the board. Some of them are under construction. A lot of them are already finished and hooked up. So not a lot of funny numbers in here. And it's a pretty predictable sector of the economy because you need to plan ahead. So that's all good news. Hmm. So what's it going to take to get to 100%? Another great question from the Randomwood groups who wanted to say, okay, hey, we're patting ourselves on the back while we're doing that. What would it take to get to 100 and get there even faster? Is that even possible? And what we'll tour the Colorado Energy Office Executive Director, who's kind of the guru of all clean energy transition in Colorado, had said is that getting that extra 1.5% out of the system is extremely expensive and that that's why the sort of mid-level steady-as-go scenario is the chosen scenario if it's possible and if it gets us there. You'd, to get that extra 1.5% out, you'd have to spend a lot of money on these unproven technologies like hydrogen, creating a whole system around that, creating a whole system around whether they can even invent, uh, create a nuclear reactor that is actually safe and could ever get built um, at a decent cost is very unknown at this point. Carbon capture and storage would have to be part of that. So what's changing fast is over the last 20 years is that solar panels have gotten so much more efficient. The cost of wind and solar is now lower than building a new power plant of any other kind. And battery storage is now a realistic backup alternative instead of building natural gas plants that will fill in the gaps. You can now do it with some major battery arrays that can provide power should the wind stop, should the sun go down, which it always does at night, give you four hours, eight hours, up to 100 hours, which is what Excel is building down next to Comanche in Pueblo. So the battery storage has helped a lot too. And all of those things put together um, make get us to 98 and a half. They're saying, well, maybe what there is that room over the next, it's now 17 years between now and 2040 for that technology to continue to innovate and maybe we'll get there. Uh, we've been surprised over the last 20 years and maybe we'll get even more pleasant surprises and jump to that number. Hmm. Well, that is all fascinating and encouraging. It is. Very cool. Well, I, I think uh, listeners will send you out on that note today, but thanks for tuning in and uh, Mike and I will see you back here next week. You can read more at coloradosun.com. 
Finally, here are a few stories that you should know about today. After five terms as a U.S. representative, Ken Buck said Wednesday he is not going to run for re-election next year. The Republican from Windsor represents Colorado's 4th District, which spans from the Eastern Plains to Douglas County. Buck told MSNBC News he is disappointed with Congress's inability to deal with major issues and disappointed that the Republican Party continues to rely on this lie that the 2020 election was stolen. Buck has been raising eyebrows for months for making the rounds on TV news shows to criticize fellow Republicans. Governor Jared Polis is proposing a $38 billion state budget for next year that would completely pay off Colorado's 14-year-old debt to K-12 schools. The school funding deficit dates back to the Great Recession when lawmakers cut K-12 spending $1 billion below the state's constitutionally required levels. Polis's budget calls for $137 million for housing, much of it focused on building new supply. It also earmarks $40 million for new crime prevention spending. The legislature ultimately decides how the state's money is spent, but the governor's roadmap is often used as the state lawmaker's starting point. While crowds are still finding their way back into movie theaters, the Denver Film Festival is powering on with a diverse lineup for this year's edition. The 47th annual festival kicks off Friday and will have more than 100 feature films and nearly 75 shorts at venues around Denver over 10 days. Colorado is home to more than 40 film festivals each year. While the pandemic dramatically changed the industry, festival organizers are presenting a smaller but well-rounded catalog of movies. Their goal this year is to shine a light on films that aren't easily available. For more information on all of these stories, visit our website, coloradosun.com. And don't forget to tune in again next time. The Colorado Sun is nonpartisan and completely independent. We're always dedicated to telling the in-depth stories we need today more than ever. And the Sun is supported by readers and listeners like you. Right now, you can head to coloradosun.com and become a member, starting at $5 per month for a basic membership, and if you bump it up to $20 per month, you'll get access to our exclusive politics and outdoors newsletters. Thanks for starting your morning with us, and don't forget to tune in again tomorrow.